Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment, action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the Department of Human Affairs or DMA and check it out right now. What is up, everybody? I'm Brian Wayne, and this is episode number 23 of the Cheers to Comics podcast. This week, I'll be raising my glass to all the books released on March 20th, 2019, as well as talking about everything else relative in the world of comic books. There will be spoilers and adult language, so if you're cool with all that, then grab a drink and let's talk comics. But first, the drink. This week, uh, we're more Colorado local native stuff. It's going to be Beehive Honey Wheat out of Bristol Brewing Company in Colorado Springs. So, this is what I'll be drinking throughout the podcast, and from what I've had so far, it has been it's been awesome. It's got this weird... Oh, I'm looking at the label. It's got like a, a punch thingy on the label. I don't know what it means. I'm sure it's something. But yeah, no, out of... Once again, Colorado Springs. So, uh, before I carry on much further, there is a small announcement to make within the podcast. Our beloved host, Justin Jones, will no longer be a regular host. So, from here on out, I, Brian Wayne, will be the guy delivering all of your comic book news and whatnot. So... With all of that being said, I think we should talk about the news. And there are some, definitely some noteworthy topics this week. The first being, well, let's, let's start with some Marvel news. If you've been reading Marvel comics over the last couple of weeks, you've noticed that there's been these giant full-page spreads. Uh, the, pre- or the week prior to this one was them, uh, some sort of quote about... Uh, developing and uh, evolution and all of this stuff. And this week, this in the same format, it just said uh, Hickman. So, Jonathan Hickman is coming back to Marvel. And I find that to be pretty awesome. He did the, the Secret Wars and Avengers, and he's got a history. So, this is definitely a big deal. So, when, you might ask? Well... It's going to be sometime in July. Well, what is he going to be doing? He is going to be doing some X-Men stuff. He's got two books that's going to happen. Both of them going to be related to each other. So it's going, it's going to include something called the House of X and then the Powers of X. So nobody knows what it means. He has All he did is he released this piece of art that said everything in this piece of art means something. So if you look that up, it's pretty easy. All you really got to do is just Google Hickman at this point, and you'll see. There's there's definitely stuff to be 
to be seen on this. A lot to be taken in, that's for sure. There's a lot of mutants on here, and there's a lot that I've noticed that are missing, so it makes me wonder. It also makes me wonder about um, what's going to happen with Matthew Rosenberg's Uncanny X-Men, and I don't know. No one knows yet. Uh, we do know that Pepe Larraz, R.B. Silva, and Marte Garcia are going to be a part of the art team, so that's cool. So, yes, no, the, the cryptic... Uh, Marvel pages have finally turned out to kind of mean something. Uh, along with that, speaking of Marvel news, I think it's all Marvel news this week, actually. Yeah, so yeah. Uh, Mark Wayne and Javier Rodriguez and Alvaro Lopez are teaming up to do the history of Marvel. So Mark Wade is going to tell the entire history of Marvel Comics all within six issues. So we don't really have a release date on that yet at all. And we we have uh, we know that the covers will feature Steve McNiven. That's pretty cool. But other than that, there's there's not a whole lot of information other than the fact that Mark Wade is going to attempt to tell the entire history of Marvel Comics through six issues. So it's got my curiosity up. That's for damn sure. And last but not least, there was an announcement made at C2E2 involving the beloved Donny Cates. He even put out uh, a promotional video, actually, and all of his Venom stuff has all been leading up to absolute carnage. And pretty much the, the theme here is that carnage is back, and he is going after anybody and everybody that's ever worn a symbiote, and as, you know, Case explains in the promotional video, if you look at the last 30 years, damn near everybody has worn a symbiote, so, that's, I know I'm excited, I love everything that Case does, but, uh, Carnage story, just, uh, uh, I'm so excited about that, so excited about that, and speaking of excitement, I have a small stack of books here, a medium stack of books, to be more precise, of a bunch of things that I am very excited to talk to you guys about this week. So let's get on with it. Let's uh, let's do indies. Once again, these are the books that released the 20th of March, 2019. So, Farmhand is back from Image Comics, Farmhand number six. So the beginning of the second arc marches on and they they oh they brought it just just as I would hope they would. Rob Gilroy and Taylor Wells did the colors on this, the cover by Rob Gilroy. So this book delivered a lot of fun information in the very beginning. It starts out we got this preacher feller and he sees this this evil looking tree with all these crazy little red vines coming out the ground as you pretty much do see quite often in this book at this point, but the fact is, is that it looks like in this cemetery, they there's some sort of, I don't know if this is a church or whatever, I, I'm not sure how this is supposed to work, but the fact is that we get all these trans plants, if you will, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, so it's pretty much a bunch of refugees of sorts. But they all have one thing in common, and that's that Jedediah had contact with them at one at one point or another. And Jedediah is the guy that designed this this pretty much like this uh, 
organic type of regrowth system done through plants. It's like vegetative regrowth. And, uh, you know, sometimes you need an ear, sometimes you need a brain. The fact is that this guy, the scientist, has figured out how to make things all... It's like stem cells with plants, essentially, is what it is. So, yeah, no, but ever, all of these people, you know, they, they, they praise this Jedediah fella. But meanwhile, on the previous arc, he started kind of being ostracized because there was this big community cookout or whatever, this barbecue... And as they're carving up this pig and this this pig roast, uh, they they realize that it it's kind of like a it's in this vegetative state, and everyone immediately puts all the blame on Jedediah. So, and the the biggest one being the mayor. The mayor and he have uh, a scientific past and history that's obviously not so great. So she's out to get him. She, once again, she's just ostracizing him at every point. Every, every opportunity she has. Uh, meanwhile, uh, since all of that, the uh, the the EPA and the, what is the, not the USDA is it the USDA? Yeah, the USDA, the food people, the food cops. They're investigating this this laboratory that it, you know Jed has and his. Uh, one of his daughters is in charge of this whole thing, and this EPA cop's in there, and, you know, she's giving him this tour, and uh, we we get a, a juicy piece of information. At least I don't think it's been revealed at this point. But the fact is that if someone were to come in and actually steal this technology that's hidden in here, this regrowth technology, it would be useless because it's only able to work under Jedediah's personal command. So he has to physically and verbally tell this thing what to do uh, in order to get it to actually work. So it kind of plays an intriguing factor in here. I'm not sure where they're going with this. This is a very much a book of, like, welcome back. It is a welcome back book for sure. Uh, another interesting tidbit here is, well, you're probably wondering what the hell Jedediah is doing at all of this. He's going fishing. <laughs> Fuck it all. I'm done. I just I just need to ease my brain, me and my weird son. Not weird son, but kind of a strange son. They're not the crispiest of family members. But he's trying to come back and make amends after, I believe, the, the death of the mother or something like that. So they're all going fishing. Uh, it's, we've got three generations because then his son... Uh, blah, 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 what are their names? So we got Jed Zeke. Zeke is Jed's son. And then his son, Riley, is going with him. But he decides to bring his buddy, Michael. Well, Riley's a little weird kid and has a problem making friends. So uh, Zed is pretty stoked that, you know, he has an opportunity. So he brings his Michael kid along. I think that's how you say it. It's spelled weird. But uh, it might be Mikhail. I don't know. fact is, is that, yeah, uh, typical <laughs> little white kid name. <laughs> but, uh, so they go fishing, but then you see this weird tension between Grandpa Jedediah and Michael, or Mikhail. I'm going to go with Mikhail. I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to try to say from here on. <laughs> and they seem to have some odd history. And then you realize that there had something to do with uh, regrowth that happened way back, and this kid's not who he says he is. He's some. He's definitely more than meets the eye, but they don't say exactly what it is. Once again, this is like a a book laying out what's probably going to happen for the next five issues. Uh, the 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 storytelling in it though is amazingly paced or amazingly 
how do I say this? It's fun throughout the whole thing on its own tone, even in like the the crazy, weird, aggressive scenes. It's all still very fun. Gilroy is just a master. He's a master of everything. Uh, I you know, and it pretty much it ends while they're out in the woods. The Jed and Zed are arguing about everything. And then the two friends, the two kids are out, and then next thing you know, they're running back, screaming, because they have this crazy veggie warthog chasing them, and they run up in a tree, and that's pretty much how the issue ends. So we get a, a little bit of action, these guys are stuck in the woods, but if you look at the tree, it ain't no ordinary tree, it's got all the hands, it's a regrowth tree too. There's a lot in this world that I think that's just still needs to be explained, and Gilroy does an amazing job with all of this, the art is incredible. And Taylor Wells does an awesome job complimenting Gilroy's art. At least I would think so. I believe so. So I'm very excited that Farmhand is back. And I think my, my first read of the, the Indies this week was super awesome. Uh, speaking of more Image Comics, we've got Middle West, number five. Scotty Young, Jorge Corona, and Jean-Francois Buello. Mike Huddleston did the cover here. So the book starts out, it's two years uh, before all of the current events, and it's just touching again on the abusive and terrible relationship that Abel and his dad has. He gets this bike in the mail, and his dad's jealous that he can't do it, and he pretty much destroys the bike right in front of him. And Yeah, so like I said, it's just him being a dick. He's always been a dick, it seems. So, anyways, uh, then it flashes forward to where the book actually left off in the last issue, and that's Abel getting ready to, um, I think I described it as like going Super Saiyan, but he gets all tornado-y like his dad did. So they're at the carnival, everyone's freaking out. Meanwhile, the fox is like, whatever you do, don't aggressively approach this. You're probably just going to make it worse. Let's just, uh, the, our best bet is to just hope he calms down. Well, then we get the, I, I'm not totally sure of her name, it's Maggie, I think is what they refer to her, but she's Bobby and Wrench's boss, she's the carnival leader, pretty much. She shows up, and in some mysteriously magical way, just Abel's able to calm down, and then all's well, and then from here we realize that this Maggie, this lady, is actually the Lady Magdalena that Abel had been searching for the whole time to help figure out what the scars on his chest was and what the anger and all of that stuff means. So she clearly knows something about how to control this whatever. But throughout all this, it looks like this like this weird, like, Klingon, elfish, definitely not American, uh, calligraphy type of talk and chatter going throughout, uh, coming from Magdalena. And I don't know what it means, maybe, I, but it's, I don't know if it's spells or trickery or whatever it is, but the fact is, is that she does actually turn out to, you know, explain herself and all that, but the bigger doozy in all of this is that she turned out to actually be Jed's uh, sister, and Jed is the, act, the, the, the wizard guy that lured the kids into the woods and is, I know that sounds weird. But it kind of led them and directed them towards the way of Magdalena. Gave them the hints needed, or whatever, without actually saying that's my sister. So yeah, and then we get that little reveal here. So my, oh, I remember for the first four issues, my frustration is it's just, they, they're not answering any questions. There's, there's just, nothing is getting answered. It's just a whole bunch of, 
I mean, you're giving me a whole bunch of stuff that I enjoy very much, but it's just more and more and more questions. This issue is finally answering questions. We know who that Magdalena lady is. We know who she's related to. That that explains the the connection between the crazy wizard Jed and her. Um, we're realize, uh, we at this point, I'm pretty confident that Bobby and Wrench, like I had hoped so hard, would stick around. It looks like there's a uh, an immediate. Well, I can't say immediate. Uh, a friendship developing, because immediately it was not a friendly type of thing. But you would kind of expect that out of a, uh, a male-female type of initiating a relationship at that age. I think I want to say they're like 12 or something like that. So it's kind of like the whole like kicking dirt on you in the playground type of flirting type of thing. So yeah, so Magdalena starts vaguely answering some questions about the... The, the scars, and then it actually turns out at the very end, we go back to Jed and his dad, Abel's dad, showing up. Have you seen my son? And yeah, no, Jed doesn't look too eager to, to help him. So that's that's how this book ends. So, uh, just as I would hope Scotty Young would do, he gave us a great first five issues. It was four issues of just so much I wanted to know everything about immediately because he made it so interesting. And then the fifth issue was, all right, no, here's 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 answers to about 75% of the questions. So he's doing, he did his job. I love it. Chugging along, one more indie book I'm going to talk about. Oh, man, definitely were these, none of these were talked about in any specific order. It's just how the books were handed to me, because Bitterroot was just as amazing as the rest of the three. Bitterroot number five. Oh, man, David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Sanford Green, Enrico Renzi, and I decided to go with this dope-ass Mike Del Mundo variant cover. Mike Del Mundo, if you're not familiar, he's the guy that usually does the interiors for Thor, at least of the latest issue. But yes, no, this this book was dope. We finally get this thing. You know what? I'm not going to go through this completely because this, this book is so hype. I just I want everybody to... Mm, mm. <laughs> so we finally get all of them. We get them all together at one point in time for the first time in the very beginning. The Sangris family. Starts out where we get the majority of them all there. We get, we get Ford and Enoch and, of course, Maeda. Along with, uh, at this point, Berg has been cured because Enoch is there now. So Berg is back and better than ever. And at this point, we're missing Colin. But if you remember, Colin got sucked into this this black hole, what they consider, or they consider the abyss. And they immediately, like the rest of the family, just writes him off. When they realize, you know, they get the report that Colin went, you know, into this black hole, they're like, oh, shit, Colin's not a thing anymore. So they just carry on. Like, so this this family is, they're, they're hardcore. I dig it. So there's actually two points where they have to, like, boss fight this Sylvester Devil Feller. He's like six degenus out on him. Uh, they, they get... He gets compromised at one point. Ford's getting ready to blast his big old frickin' super gun at him, but his his main chick, uh, what's her face, Miss Nighting, Nightingale, jumps in front of it. She takes the hit, escorts him out, and then it turns out, you know, he ends up 
carrying her into their little lair. So they end up escaping, but she perishes in the meantime. Well, that makes Sylvester get pissed again, and he goes right back out at them. So just as they're trying to, the old Sangrese family's trying to get their, their bearings straight, um, and right as Berg is, you know, being ungenued, if you will, he's like, oh, shit, something's bad. Well, as Sylvester shows up, the portal opens up, and we get this crazy, super futuristic-looking bitch just whooping that ass. And then she reveals herself to be the family's presumably dead mother, and everyone's like, oh, shit, Mom, what's up? We didn't know you can come back from the abyss. That's fucking dope. And then if that's not enough, we also get little old Colin. But the thing is, is... He ain't little no more. He looks all beefy and grown up and, like, he had seen some shit. And everyone is just like, damn, Colin, what are you? Oh, that's dope. So for the first time, for the first time, we get the whole Sangris family all together. Little old goofy Colin is back. Mom, we get a new character, I believe, is a new character. This is the, the this team. David F. Walker, Chuck Brown, Sanford Green... These guys, the, uh, I hope we don't go on this, like, three-month break in between arcs on this. I hope this isn't, like, this giant cliffhanger. I really, really enjoy Bitterroot, and I have consistently liked it more and more through five issues. So, if you're not reading Bitterroot, it's probably one of my top five. You know what? I actually, now that I think about it, these three are my top three image books. So, they all just so happen to line up this week. That works out. Bitterroot is easily in the top three. I don't know what order, but it's, it's it's in there for sure. So, that is all I have to say about the indies this week. Uh, it, was, it was all about quality, not quantity. That's for sure. So, let's move on to DC. Justice League, number 20. Scott Snyder, Jorge Jimenez, Alejandro Sanchez. And I got all three connecting covers by Jimenez and Sanchez. So I'll be talking about that later on in more detail. So let's open this bitch up. Uh, I said that Justice League number 19 has been by far the strongest and best issue from Snyder's Justice League series so far. And Justice League 20 topped it. So... Uh, in the last issue, we had Mixoplake explaining the the sixth dimension. So now we have the Justice League in the sixth dimension, and they're giving a they're getting a tour essentially. Uh, future Superman's like, y'all just get accustomed to this place. In the meantime, just take a look around, see what your future selves have to say about yourselves and where you've come and all of that. And yeah, good beer. So um, they. At this point, we get a lot of individual, uh, I believe pretty much to be single page, what have yous of every little instance. We uh, we realized that Martian Manhunter and Hawk Girl had a uh, uh, Martian Child Hawk. <laughs> I'm gonna call it Martian Chicken Hawk. No, it's Martian Child Hawk. I don't know. <laughs> Fact is, there's a little baby green guy with wings, and more than one. One of them is actually kind of, and they even refer to him as he's a hyper-empath. So if he's around any emotions that are too high, he could be, become hypersensitive to them and go into weird convulsions or whatever. 
So, and throughout that explanation, I, I immediately got this feeling like, I don't know if they're, like, hiding something. Kind of like, oh, no, we don't have no weird, goofy kid in the basement. And it turns out they do have a weird, goofy kid in the basement type of thing. And <laughs> I, I, you really, you <laughs> spoiler, you get that. The, that, that little empath kid's like, oh, shit, I've seen some shit. And so the whole Martian Manhunter hot girl scenario throughout this might be the most important thing. Uh, we also get uh, a Green Lantern and Flash type of scenario, and the whole point of that is Flash explaining that throughout the, uh, air quotes, Great War, which I believe is referring to the war that they're trying to avoid with the Legion of Doom getting all cozied up with Perpetua. So, yeah, uh, they're explaining throughout their whole upcomings, their big thing was they evolved and just got bigger and stronger. So, and every portrayal of Flash, like you, I'm not sure what, how they're, what the drawing of it means. We get like this one version of Flash, the toys up in front and like fully colored in, but he's not your typical red and gold. And then we get, like, I don't know if it's supposed to show vibration between three different versions of Flash or what it's supposed to represent, but it definitely shows there's more to Flash than meets the eye. And then the same thing went with Green Lantern, like, his whole outcome to the whole Great War, once again, this is the future Justice League, was he just got stronger. We don't know what that means yet, but, yeah. Uh, now we get my... my Favorite. There's also a scene with Wonder Woman, too, and I, I don't understand what any of that is, but Wonder Woman talks to future Wonder Woman, so no one gets left out. My favorite is the Batman, though. Uh, there's a lot going down in the Batman one-on-one. For one, they realize that future Batman is not Bruce Wayne. It is uh, Dick Grayson, and they specifically say Dick Grayson. Now, one would think that Batman would be, when you know, when the cow comes off, Batman would be like, oh, shit, son. He's like, no, Gotham's bright. And he's like, yeah, no, that's that's the sun. <laughs> that's People like that here. <laughs> Batman's like, hmm, something, something's not right. <laughs> he, he's, he's still detectivizing. Even though at one point in time, Batman was like, oh, I was skeptical at first, but I think we're cool now. Well, that's that's already roller coastered to him being like, and it just I guess it just took the sun in Gotham for him to be like, no, that would this would never be a thing. So I'm not sure what that means. Well, <laughs> beyond all of that, so we we go back to our dimension, out of the sixth dimension, and we see this amazing, <laughs> uh, definitely in the top five panels of the week, amazing panel of Starro wearing the Robin uniform. Flying from the sky, face planting on uh, Deathstroke. What all that means, I don't know. <laughs> the fact is that Starro's dreaming. And he snaps too, and then he sees Mira and Starman looking at him. And in the background, you see Mr. Mixelplick in this uh, reinforced bubble, which is some sort of prison, I'm presuming. Uh, so, yeah, Starro wakes up, and he's like, oh, was I, did I, was I saying all that out loud? Because, I mean, the dialogue throughout that whole Robin thing was, it was pretty good. you got to read it yourself. So, Starro's the man, by the way. So, he's, they're using him to be able to try to get into Mixoplex's head and figure out what's going on. 
because Mr. Mixelplicus is way too powerful for any of the Justice League's technology to be able to read his mind. So when Starro gets in there, uh, he ex- he's explaining, he's like, oh, there's there's voices in his head, and they're telling him to just do what was greet- agreed upon. So my immediately thought, is, my first immediate thought is, uh oh, Brainiac and Luther put Mixelplick up to all of this. Well, turn the page, and well, a few pages, and we get that. You get Brainiac and Luther arguing, saying, "I don't think this is, this is going to work." Mixelplick, he's just, he's just too much of a loose cannon. How he's being contained right now is just beyond me. It's not going to happen. And this is all Brainiac being a little negative Nancy. Meanwhile, Luther's like, dog, I thought you were smarter than this. Check this out. What if I had told you that I have an imp myself? And then we get that whole cliffhanger in there. So we might get another imp from the fifth dimension, superpowered Mixoplick part, whatever. I don't know. I can't wait to see what the funny name is. Maybe it's just the name of all vowels instead of consonants instead. I don't know how the fifth dimension works. But I'm excited to learn. So the fact is, is I know I just dumped a whole lot of stuff on you, and none of that in any order. And I don't think it needs to be in any order. It's just a whole lot of great, amazing, fun stuff that excites me even more about reading this book. It's putting faith in Snyder and me again. He's just so roller coastery, and I, I hate to say it, I think he does better on this book without Tinian co-writing with him. Now, I still love Tinian's Legion of Doom stuff, it's great, but I think with the two of them together, I think it's just too, it's, they're both too fucking smart, and they just, it's like creating a maze, and only a few people can get through the maze. Now, I think he's just telling a linear story, oh, there's even more to this, actually, uh, we, we get... Superman trying to escape um, his his prison without sun, no yellow sun where he's at, so he can't, he has no powers, so he's continuously trying to escape, and then the whole purpose of future Superman saying, why don't you guys explore, we'll get on with the mission tomorrow, it gives uh, future Superman a chance to approach Superman, and he's just like, alright dude, let's talk, and that's actually how the book ends, so... Everybody got to meet their future self, even Clark. So, and but the the the, the whole thing is is all of that the the uh, Justice League of our universe was under the impression that future Superman was their Clark coming back. So that's the blah 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 that they don't know. We've known from the beginning. So it's not really a bum blah blah to anyone other than they're meeting face to face. I love this book. It is it has restored my faith in Justice League and my excitement every week. Moving along, Batman number 67, Tom King, Lee Weeks, Jorge Fornes, and Laverne Kinzerski. Killed it. Uh, covered by Lee Weeks and Elizabeth Breitweiser. So, this is a silent book for the most part. Um, it took me, I, the, the, I will say the, the first thing I appreciated about this book was it took me about 45 seconds to read. <laughs> I'm a man whose time is very valuable, and this, this book, uh, yeah, it didn't take much time to get through it all. So little, in fact, that I had the time to flip through it a few times, and I appreciated it more and more as it went along. If you've been following me on Tom King's Nightmare Saga... 
I haven't been a huge fan. As a matter of fact, I've been less and less a fan of it as it goes down. This one here, I was not sure of until I the second time through. Alright, so it starts out with this Gotham City chase scene. Uh, you see Batman, and you think that he's possibly chasing... It almost looks like if the question was wearing a scarecrow mask and had a little bit of Rorschach happening. It's a very questionable scenario. Uh, once again, the majority of this book is almost completely silent, except for about a bar scene, which I'll get to, which is an homage to something that made the whole, I think it made the whole book completely worth it. So, the the first little bit you get is this the meeting of Batman and this mysterious figure, and you can see beep beep. My first initial instance was, oh, a bomb is on one of these two. And I'm, my, and I'm like, oh, I gotta figure out, there's going to be a pattern to this, this beep beep or whatever. So, and then I go through, I realize there kind of is. Just nothing like I expected. The fact is, is this book is a showing of what comic books really can be. Dialogue isn't all that important, and that doesn't take the any anything away from the writing at all, because the writer has to lay these beats out. Uh, Lee Weeks did a, a great job of really bringing the, the, the fun to this book with this style. It's... I mean, Lee Weeks is the 90s. So, yeah, it's it's a whole lot of onomatopoeias and all of that. We get, like I said, it is an entire scene of Batman chasing this figure. My favorite part of this is when they fall through this bar. Now, this bar is significant because it plays homage to the Porky Pig Batman issue that crossed over a while back ago. And... I knew that without even knowing that that existed based off of the first bit of dialogue in here. And it's a whole lot of but eat, but eat, but eat, but eat by the bartender who is bald-headed and pig-snouted. So, yeah, <laughs> he, they fall crashing onto his bar. Batman gets up and he's, <laughs> I don't know, man, it's, it's stuttering the whole time, and then he went that way, right out the front door, sir. Like, without a... So, I was like, oh, there must be a Batman Porky Pig issue that I'm not aware of. Of course there is. So, that's that's good to that's good storytelling story right there. The beers work. Um, and then at this point, we get Batman trudging through the sewers, and he finally catches up to this hooded figure after getting through the sewers, chases him underground, pulls off the mask, and then we see the beep-beep once again. And it is the Joker. And the the significant thing about this is the way the Joker is drawn. It's, you don't know for sure if it's the Joker. You don't know if it's a copycat. The fact is, is I mean, this is all a nightmare scenario. Bruce is under a, uh, he's uh, rooming out. So I don't know what's happening. No one knows what's happening. I would like to think after five parts of this arc, we're going to figure out what the, you know, how this all concludes, because the last issue was something very similar. A little more dialogue, but it was between the question and Catwoman. It's, a lot of people think that they're not really getting their money's work, worth with these Tom King stories. A lot of people say, oh, you can't tell a story where everyone just speaks in one-word sentences or whatever. But if you do it right, 
you can you can create a very interesting scenario here. Once again, I really appreciated that it didn't take me forever to read this book because the art it was enough for me to want to appreciate every single panel, but it wasn't so hyper detailed to where even in a large panel I knew exactly where the focus was. Everything else was just a bonus. So that's that's the brilliance that is Lee Week's style. I know a lot of people are like, oh, it's just so simple, and I don't feel like I'm getting my money's worth with, with ugh, money's worth with this at all. And I I would have to say that I firmly disagree. Um, I'll have to reiterate. The first time I read this book, I, I I was frustrated, and I thought, nah, King's better than this. There's something more to this. And I realized that this is just supposed to be a visual. Flex, straight up. Moving along, more stuff in the Bat family. I'm like Nightwing number 58. Uh, Scott Lobdell, Zach Kaplan, Travis Moore, and Tamra Bonvillain. Covered by Chris Mooneyham and Nick Filardi. Digging this cover because we got the whole Nightwing family here. They all got the Joker. Love that Joker. So we're getting the. The Nightwing family is kind of becoming more of a family. Rick Grayson has accepted it more, but at this point he's like, you know, I'm kind of cool with the fact that you guys are Nightwings, you guys can have the costumes, y'all go out and be Nightwing, only call me when shit's really going down. So he's like, I still gotta, like, be a Nightwing, I guess, whatever that means, and not have to be guilty when I'm not out there Nightwinging every night. Well, <laughs> before he could even finish that thought, he gets stopped by Sapienza again. He's like, I need you. And he's like, but I thought only emergencies. He's like, nah, check it out. Um, as it turns out, the commissioner, is that who it is? The councilman who Joker's daughter had ca uh, captured last time, poured acid on his face and put dynamite on him and threw him into a rich people party. So Sapienza is referring to that. And Dick's like, yeah, no, that that sounds like an emergency. That sucks. I'll go. <laughs> and so they they go to fight, and we get a pretty awesome scenario there. And I gotta say that Joker's daughter is just as creepy as I would hope she would be. Maybe even like creepier in a different way because it's uh, there. There's there's a clear leverage and vendetta there she's just she hates her dad because of the neglect so she's trying to almost parody parody his his work but still come off even or like top it in a way so i don't know i i, I dig the way lobdell's writing her for sure i hope this is a character that continues excuse me on in this arc so um She's all watching all of this from a distance in like a jigsaw saw type of way, and it just makes the whole scenario even creeper, creepier. One of the other Nightwing ladies is out uh, detectivizing, searching for this missing person. They find him. I don't totally recall who it is that they're looking for, but I think it just kind of like barely touches him uh, as far as that part of the story goes totally going to lead up to something bigger in another issue, I'm certain. Well, the fact is, is that the Nightwing team, they're able to disarm the bomb, and all of this, you know, Lady Joker comes out, and she shows herself, and in a methodical way, still manages to get away, it was all part of her plan to be seen, and it's, 
it kind of left on another cliffhanger of sorts. You know, it, the the search for her continues, but at the same time, I don't think that she's going to be their next uh, mission. And it's kind of like she's still going to be a thing, but we're going to go somewhere else. So after they're like, ah, shit, she got away. That sucks. Uh, Dick's like, or Rick is like, oh, I got to check on my girl at the bar. You know, I'm gonna get my cab. I'm gonna go. And before he gets there. Barbara Gordon gets in, and, you know, she kind of gets in like she would be just a normal uh, writer, and he's like, lights off, and then she's like, oh, wait, oh, it's you, and the the relationship between these two since the shot to the head's been kind of estranged, because, you know, Rick doesn't want to accept the, the dick in his life, <laughs> and, um... You know, he's tired of Barbara trying to convince him of who he is and all that. But all of a sudden, we get this change of heart. After she gets in the car, she's like, oh, yeah, you mind giving me a ride? I'm about to skip town. I'm out of here. And he's like, oh, okay. Well, now all of a sudden that he's Nightwing, and he, he, you see, like, you get these, these special feelings. And then you realize that, at least my first thought was, so he's just going to completely not go see B? Like, no call, nothing like that. And... I don't know if... Uh, my first thought was, did, is that what, poor writing for a second? No. Because the, the teaser at the end is Old Flames. So it tells me the next arc is going to be a bit of a love triangle, I'm presuming. So the neglect of B is very purposeful on the writing side. Everything about this book has been... I, I love... I love the Nightwing book. I can honestly say that it, it's been... It was my first introduction... The, my first subscription to DC Comics was Nightwing, and through all 58 issues, I'm proud to say that I, I dig it all the way. I mean, from Tim Seeley all the way to Scott Lobdell, this this story has been interesting in so many arcs. Joker's daughter was dope. Nightwing team is going to be a thing in uh, Gotham City, and what I think. This might be DC's way of saying, I know we kind of took the Outlaws away from the Red Hood story, and there's not a whole lot of team stuff out there in the DC world that's, you know, not Titans or Justice League. Let's let's throw in a B-team, man. Nightwings. And I enjoy that concept very much. I was very, very skeptical in the beginning. I didn't think I liked Sapienza. I like the fact that every single Nightwing in this team, it's not like they're a whole bunch, they're all brothers and sisters. There are two of them that are brother and sister. They all share very different motives for all of this. Um, the younger brother of the siblings in the crew, he's the most skeptical of it all. He's like, I don't think, I, I just kind of want to, I'm cool being like a, a, you know, a blue cop. I'm fine with all that. I, I don't like the nighttime. It's scary. But he still, he still comes through every time, even though he consistently gets the shit beat out of him. I think he's going to play a major part on this team. And once again, I want to reiterate, I hope the, the Night Wings becomes a thing. And, yeah, no, I'm... Another week when it comes to comics and publishers, DC, it was all about quality, not quantity. And I I raise my glass to, to this team. I think it's been... It was a hell of a way to kill an arc. And I don't mean kill an arc, I mean end an arc. Is what I mean to say. Alright, well, I think that's all I have to say about DC Comics. Let's uh, let's move on to Marvel. And Marvel came heavy this week. We have a lot more than two or three books, that's for damn sure. I can't open this beer. Got it. <laughs> uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, number three. 
Legacy number 153, Donnie Cates, Jeff Shaw, and Marte Garcia. So, this book, I... Mm, ah, it gets... It, oh, this is so fun. So, we know in the last one, uh, old Cosmic Ghost Rider decided to go off and um, team up with the... And, well, Eros, who is Star Fox, or... Um, uh, Thanos' brother. I love that his name's Star Fox, by the way. I'm never going to get over that. So, there, there's there's a lot of... The agenda is very similar for everyone, pretty much. Either obtain or make sure no one obtains Thanos' head to put onto the body. Um, Thanos is going to try to reinstate his consciousness in an unknown figure. Everybody presumes it to be Gamora on account of all of the events of the Infinity War event that just happened. Um, the Guardians that we have now, Star Fox and Groot and... Uh, blah, 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 blah. I can't even remember all of them. Uh, Moon Dragon. Ugh. I feel better now. <laughs> so yeah, no, they're they're at first Star or not Star Fox. <laughs> Quill was like, oh no, we gotta make sure that no one um, gets Gamora, and then he starts to realize that I don't think anybody knows where Gamora is at except for me, and that's kind of a secret. And then he starts drinking again, as he's been doing a lot of lately. So then all of a sudden his team's like, no, let's go get Gamora. Like it's a total flip-flop change thing, and Quill's like, mm, I don't think we should. And he's not really revealing to them why. Meanwhile, we flash to Hela, trying to track down Thanos' head, and she goes to the negative zone to seek out Annihilus. And this scene is dope in its own fun way. So we get Hela versus Annihilus, when Annihilus is like, check it out, oh no, Thanos' head, he's right over there. And you see a bunch of these little bug kids, like, kicking it around like a sucker ball. <laughs> and Hilla's like, oh, no, you're gonna, you're, you're not gonna die for that, because I'm way more fun than that. But I'm gonna play with you for a bit. So, and then that just kind of, that whole scene goes away. So that's a super tease. Like, Annihilus, that whole, all of the dialogue, you keep in mind that Donnie Cates is writing all of this. So if I were to try to rephrase all of this stuff verbatim. I don't think there's any way I can come off in the, the, the way that he puts out his his dialogue. It's just so quip. It's it's almost like... I feel like he's almost the Tarantino of comics as far as his his steez goes in a conversation. Like, you can always tell a Donny Cates conversation. Yeah, I like that. He's the Tarantino of comics. Uh, I'm going to roll with it. Um, and then we get another little tidbit where the Dark Guardians show up. And if you're not familiar with the Dark Guardians, they're pretty much, uh, like I mentioned, Star Fox's crew, that you know, Cosmic Ghost Rider went out to, to join with them because they do want to not just find Gamora, they want to kill that bitch because they are certain that that's where Thanos' conscience is going to be loaded up. Um, but in order to do so, they think their best bet to find her is to track down her boyfriend. And as they said, in, or came off in the last issue, it seemed that, you know, Quill would be that guy, but it turns out, no, Richard Nova would be that guy. So, we get these guys, and they, they find Nova, and he's refusing to comply, and between the confrontation with the Dark Guardians and Nova, we get 
another character just flying down who goes by the name of Wraith. And then he ties even more of the Donny Cates universe in. Wraith is after Null, Null being the symbiote god. And Richard Ryder has, apparently has answers to where to find that. So everyone's like, tell me what you know! And Nova's just like, um, no. And he rockets away. And I was like, well, that was fucking useless. <laughs> I, I, I just think it's perfect. It was kind of a... Uh, uh, yeah, never mind. I'm not going to make that comparison. People might start hating Donny Cates. Forget what I was about to say. <laughs> but I thought it was uh, like a complete slap in the face. Like you thought, you know, we were going to get some info and no. But we do get some really cool dialogue between Frank Castle or Cosmic Ghost Rider and Nova. And uh, I can't say enough about all of this. Um, the, I think the best part. The best part is the dialogue between Quill and Groot at one point in time. Groot is pretty much telling Quill that, no, we are going to save Gamora from all the bad things happening. We have faith that she ain't no bad bitch. Um, let's go. Let's take uh, the, the writer, or the Winona, which is Quill's new ship, Winona, after Winona Ryder, because <laughs> that's, that's how Quill rolls. Um, so you got group piloting the ship, and Quill's like, no, you can't do this. <laughs> I'm, I'm just gonna go ahead and say it, the best single panel of the entire week goes to this book right here. Um, Quill's trying to order Groot around as he's piloting, and you, the, the dialogue is literally, plap, 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 plap. Quill looks at him, what's that? And Groot's like, Groot was doing a fart noise, Groot does not have a tongue. So Groot can't totally, <laughs> and it's just it's it's so like juvenile, but at the same time, I'm for I'm relieved to see that Groot can say a lot more than he's more articulate than I am Groot, but he's still like in a Hulk type of old Hulk type of manner, like he's got to refer to himself in the first person, but he is also very aware he doesn't have a tongue, so <laughs> plap 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 plap, like <laughs> I, I I love it, I I just found it fucking hilarious. Keep in mind, Beta Ray Bill is mediating this whole confrontation between the two, and so that's... Uh, I can't say enough. But throughout all of this, Quill does finally reveal at the end why they shouldn't go after Gamora, and that is because Quill secretly knows that Gamora is searching for the presumedly dead, but definitely lost Rocket Raccoon. So, bum bum bum... Kate knows how to leave a goddamn cliffhanger. There's so much fun stuff going on in this book. It's joke after... I mean, it's it's like watching a Guardians of the Galaxy movie, to be honest. Just with a somewhat different cast. Um, so, yeah. No. Marvel started strong this week. Let's move on to some Spider-Man stuff. There were four Spider-Man books released this week. I'm going to talk about two of them. One of them being Miles Morales... Number four, or legacy numbering 244, Saladin on Javier Garon and David Curiel, covered by Mario De Alfonso. I'm going to stop before I open this book, and I want to comment about the cover by Mario De Alfonso. If you have not seen Enter the Spider-Verse yet, then you probably won't appreciate this cover as much as some that have. Because it is such an homage to the style and steez of that movie. The, the, the dotting and all of that stuff. The bright, vibrant colors in certain spots. And, like, it is, it, it is very, very Enter the Spider-Versey. And I got a peek at the next cover, too. And he, it's the same artist, so we're going to... Uh. 
So, yes. Essentially what this book is, is Ferris Bueller's Day Off, Miles Morales style. Um, Miles' buddy's trying to convince them. It's the last day of the Brooklyn Hip Hop Art Museum thingy. And it... The, the the showing ends before they would get out of school. So Miles is like, you know what? All right, I guess. You know, I heard that Biggie's, like, original, like, notebook lyrics are going to be framed there, and that's kind of a big deal on account of Biggie, after a certain point in his career, was, like, no more writing. So, yeah, no, we get that... Uh, but meanwhile, we get our principal, <laughs> and I will have to go ahead and make this comparison that I think it is a uh, a little bit of a shtick to Trump in a way, and there's a certain panel later on you will see why um, as you flip through this book. But um, it's not. But I'm not saying it, it's divisive in any way. It's not making Trump look bad. It's just I think this character just seems like a very determined person that somewhat physically resembles Trump with the red tie, the the hair, the blonde hair is very furrowed at many points in time. Um, but at the same time, I mean, but also has a big bushy mustache too. So he's got that. I just think that there's slight resemblances there to represent an authoritative figure that is very, very, very adamant in his ways. And I think that's that's what the point is there. So, throughout all of this, they're going through the museum, and, you know, his friends don't know what's going on, uh, or Miles' friends, every, there's two separate instances where shit's going down. On the train, going out to the museum, some bad things happen, Miles mysteriously disappears, his girlfriend being a part of this, uh, ditch crew, if you will, I just, I don't know if I'm going to coin that. <laughs> um, she's kind of seemingly had uh, an idea, maybe, that Miles was a Spider-Man. Never really comes out, but she's definitely very skeptical, especially, like, once they're on the train, bad things are going down, Miles disappears, everything comes back, Miles is back. And, yeah, and that happens one more time while they're in the museum. So it's becoming more and more obvious to her, at least. At least Miles doesn't date dumb people. I'll give him that. <laughs> so, uh, and then it really it ends just kind of like the, the Ferris Bueller's Day Off thing. It's a race home before the principal gets to the do dorm to, you know, confirm that he's sick. And he's got um, a buddy, his roommate, covering for him the whole time. And there's a love interest and the awkward whatever. And we get a really... One thing that's not in fewer Ferris Bueller's Day Off is this new, uh, the Frost Pharaoh, <laughs> which they even point out. He's like, dude, you, you can't be like this Egyptian wannabe god when you're blonde-haired and blue-eyed. <laughs> it's a complete, yeah, no, very self-aware in the ridiculousness of it all. They clearly are doing a Ferris Bueller's type of thing. I know I keep saying that, but in a still fun way. Like, it still has its uniqueness to it all. It solidifies the fact that I didn't think I would be a big fan of the Miles Morales Spider-Man thing. I thought I would have gave it one or two issues and said that's enough Spider-Man for me. No, all of the Spidey titles, but I, I think this one's in the top three, I would say. Saladino Ahmed's doing a good job. And the, the art throughout all of this is just as vibrant and fun as you could hope to see with that type of steez. For sure. More Spider-Man. Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number 4, Legacy number 28, Tom Taylor, Juan Cabal, Douglas 
Fran Shen and Nolan Woodard, covered by Andrew C. Robinson. So we're getting the conclusion to the um, arc with Rumor and under New York and all of that. At this point, Spidey rescues Lalani, who is the mother of the two little orange kids that were dropped off in Peter's room, um, along with Rumor up, up there. And get to the top above New York, but not without the leader of under New York following behind them to rightfully claim those kids because, you know, apparently there's some bloodline relation. The guy's like, oh, no, he's got to take over the throne of this under New York or whatever. None of that's happening. There's a bit of a battle. Rumor just handles shit like he has, she has been throughout this whole time. This 80-year-old woman is just, like, super strength. I think she could take on Spidey at this point. And it kind of ends with Wilson Fisk stepping in as the mayor, and Spider-Man kind of manipulates the situation to make everyone believe that, A, the kids are gone, because Spider-Man has hundreds of magical and crazy friends with super abilities that can make anything happen to these kids to keep them safe and prevent this from happening. So he lays that whole spiel down. And Fisk believes it, and at this point Fisk is kind of backed into a corner, and he's like, no, this under New York thing ain't going to be happening in my city. And, yeah, all is well. And then you go back to realize that those same kids are just back in Spidey's house. Like, you know, all's, you know everything's cool. The, the family's reunited. Um, Johnny Storm gets to go on and flame on somewhere else. He was the guy keeping track of the kids the whole time, making sure they were safe. So, yes, no, I, I, I liked how this arc ends. It, it was, this is your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man story. This isn't about big villains or big events or anything. This is about the, the, the Bronx, the spider, you know, it's the, the, the neighborhood. And Lulani is a building resident, or a fellow resident in the same building. So, naturally, you got to look after your neighbors, right? And I think... Once again, another book that I didn't think I'd be attached to. Well, I mean, no, I saw Tom Taylor's name, and I was like, no, I'm gonna, he's going to make me love something. He can make me love anything. And I still get that Tom Taylor feel with the dialogue. It's fun, especially all the Johnny Storm stuff in here. It was, that was where Tom Taylor really got a shine, I'd say. Uh, more kind of Spider-Man stuff. Venom. Number 12, Legacy 177. Oh boy, more Donny Cates. Uh, this time stepping in for Ryan Stegman, we have Joshua Kasari and Rain Barreto. Covered by Stegman, though, and Frank Martin. So, uh, this has been a whole lot of Eddie Brock family stuff. Big bum 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 moments. Turns out it's not his brother, it's his son. And by that I mean Dylan. So, it starts out where we kind of get this flashback moment where it's Eddie Brock's baby mama dropping off Dylan to Eddie's dad and explaining that I don't want Eddie to have anything to do with this kid. I definitely can't take care of this kid. This is your kid now. And that's why we essentially get the feeling that Dylan is Eddie Brock's dad's son in the beginning. Because that's kind of how the story, uh, or yeah, the relationship starts. And then we flash forward to now, where the Maker does have Eddie in this containment thing, and through all of his trials and tribulations of trying to break Eddie, the symbiote manages to aggravate itself out of containment and just fuck 
up the maker. So maker for dumb fucked up. So with uh, all of that, the symbiote is separate from Eddie. Or no, I, I take that, but they, they they do reunite one more time. They bond up to chase after Dylan, who is under in the custody of his dad now. His dad takes Dylan after Dylan drops Eddie off at the hospital, not realizing that the maker, he a bad guy. Well, he's young. The kid's young and dumb. What's he going to do? So the dad's trying to get Dylan away from Eddie as fast as possible. He thinks Eddie is just this monster. Venom catches up, and... Uh, there's this this car accident type of moment, and then we see the the new capabilities that were revealed with Venom in the last couple issues, where we realize that Venom has the capability of instilling false memories in people, and we get to f- see that firsthand when he has Eddie's dad all choked up, and he puts this memory in his head of Eddie approaching him in this like uh, questioning type of facility, cell facility, just, yeah, you know what I'm trying to say, Eddie comes in, and he's like, oh, if I ever see you again, I'm gonna kill you, and so, for the most part, and the dad snaps to, sorry, I don't remember the dad's name, he snaps to, to see Eddie, and, you know, in the, the Venom symbiote, um, and he's all freaked the hell out, and then it gets to the point where Venom takes Dylan away, because his dad's in shock, and he puts him back in the same alley where they had kind of u- reunited, and the the symbiote just pretty much tells Dylan, he's like, eh, you guys are both better off without me, and immediately I stop, and I'm like, he's about to leave Eddie Brock. The, venom, the symbiote just grew a consciousness, and is taken off from Eddie. Like, what the fuck? And I'll be damned if that's not what happens. Like, you see the symbiote just reform in this, uh, through the alley into this, you know, human-like hooded figure and just blend into the crowd. And then the teaser from here on is the War of the Realms, and Donny Cates isn't writing the Venom part of the War of the Realms, so this is going to be a whole different saga, a whole different sequence. I don't know what's going to happen. I am so baffled as to what's going on, but I like I like that this is not typical Venom storytelling at all. It still has its its hints of what Venom's capable of, but I enjoyed the fact that Cates did flex the actual like we gotta actually see what the happenings is uh, when Venom does get into your head and instill these memories and the the how drastic these memories can possibly be to the point where this dad's probably not even going to attempt to chase after his son now. And now it's just up to Eddie and Dylan. Or not his son, his grandson is what I mean to say. So yeah, no, that's... Uh, I'm loving Venom. I'm, I can't wait for the this sequence of story to pick up again. But in the meantime, I know that he's going to kill it in the War of the Realms. Or Venom is. Moving along. Mutants. Uncanny X-Men. Number 14. Legacy 633. Matthew Rosenberg. Uh, Salvador La Roca, colors by Guru Effects, covered by Salvador La Roca and the great Rachel Rosenberg. Oh, here we are, Wolverine and Cyclops, his little band of merry mutants, and his list of potential problems. And they're kind of just going through this list at this point. Some of these problems being, uh, they're essentially after... 
the Marauder. And while chasing after who they think is the Marauder turns out to be Scrambler, at least at first, and then it turns out all of that isn't even Scrambler, it's Callisto. And then Callisto ends up teaming up with them in some odd way. So, and I kind of, I actually like the dynamic there. I can't go through all this. This is, <laughs> it's, it's, this, this story is too good to give away. The fact is, is that they, uh, they, well, they're all celebrating at the end of the small victories, you know, and that's what this is. They're just slowly trying to make it so that any, any possible mutant threat to make mutants look bad, what, beings that, you know, mutants at this point are either extinct or being, uh, vaccinated. Yeah, they're just trying to make sure there's nothing that can make them look bad, and it's just little by little, and I think that's where the story's going, but these little stories are very, very interesting, and the way they're, I mean, it's Matthew Rosenberg, but the ending on this is super dope, because Captain America shows up to the, the, the bar, and he's like, oh, Scott, we gotta talk. And we all know, that, you know, Captain America and Scott has some, uh, like, has some history. So, yeah, no, it's, I, I, I'm still love Uncanny X-Men. I'm worried to see what happens with, um, uh, Hickman coming back and taking over an X-Men thing. I don't know if he's going to be taking over Uncanny X-Men or if he's going to be uh, undoing things that, Rosenberg's currently doing now, I can't see Marvel doing that with all of this being like such a focused revamp on reviving the X-Men and making them good again, if you will. So I don't know. I, I'm very, I, I'm curious to see what happens with it all. I like the fact that <laughs> it's, anything's possible at this point. Any mutant that's not being mentioned or hasn't been mentioned in the Age of X-Men uh, quintuple series it's possible to show up here, and at this point, I mean, with Wolverine and Scott on the same page again, being buddy-buddy, and Havoc, and Multiple Man, like, it's just, there's there's great shit here, I can't, and magic, everything about this is amazing, and now we've got Captain America trying to say what's what to old Scott, and we know that usually doesn't go over well when Captain America tries to say what's what to old Scott. Alright, moving along, Immortal Hulk number 15, Legacy 732, Al Ewing, Joe Bennett, Roy Jose, and Paul Mounts, covered by the great Alex Ross. So, Doc Samson is back from the dead, and he seeks out Hulk, and when he encounters Hulk, he, Hulk is in the middle of getting uh, shot in the fucking brain by Agent Burbank, and that was all in the previous issue. So, as Doc Samson is confronting Bruce for the first time since, you know, the whole everything that happened, uh, Hulk's brain's only half there, so you get a pretty fun scene of these half-thoughts that we're not used to getting from Al Ewing's Hulk at this point. So, uh, eventually Hulk's brain does heal because he's, you know, super quick at that, and we get the, the team up. They agree that they need to go find Betty, who was just shot in the head a second ago. And by a second ago, I mean in the last issue. So about a month ago. And when they go to find where her body should be, there's a blood stain, but no Betty. And that um, from there, you know, they, they got to find Betty. So that's what they're doing, or at least seemingly. 
That's what Samson thinks that Hulk's leading him to do. We get a, an amazing line of dialogue between the two reuniting. Uh, I, oh, it's, oh, man. This is... I, I'm just going to go ahead and say... Everybody praises this issue, this run as being the greatest run. Like, I mean, not maybe unanimous, not unanimously, but the majority of the reviews that I hear is that this is possibly the greatest Hulk run ever. I found it to be very like up and down personally, but I will say that the last issue really sold me on the the way the story can be told to grasp me, and this issue definitely solidified that for sure and it's just based off of the all of the dialogue and part of this is that throughout this dialogue while hulk and samson are jumping through the atmosphere searching for betty we have this thing where samson's explaining to hulk he's like so when i was talking to bruce he always had this fear this dream of this devil hulk that if it was actually ever released, all of humankind would be gone. Um, you're not him, are you? And Hulk's like, <laughs> yeah, that's me. <laughs> I'm totally that Hulk, for sure. And this is the deepest panel in all of this. And, I, and I'm going to go ahead and give you this dialogue. As Hulk is confirming the fact that he is the devil Hulk that does want humans extinct, he, he drops this line of knowledge that is so relevant to social everything right now that it's, you have to stop before you turn the next page. And so, let's start with the nukes. The president can end all life in minutes. And the whole system designed to make it that easy. We can't have anything get in the way of Armageddon, right? You know how close we've come to a radar glitch? Because those days are back. Check your phone. Maybe it's happening now. Or maybe it won't even matter. The planet's already boiling to death. Wildfires, hurricanes, whole chunks of food chains dying off. Every time you hear about it, it's worse. Less time, less hope. But the humans in charge pretend they don't even believe it. Because... If they did, it means they'd have to be wrong. And humans are too weak and puny to ever admit that. You wonder why I'm angry? You want to know why I want to end the human world, Samson? Because if I do it myself, maybe some of them will live. And stop and think about that for a second. And when you turn the page, you get Samson stopping to think about that for a second. And this is what completely sells me on this book right here, is the tone. And Samson, and I will quote, oof. So essentially, what you're saying is, is you're the Green Hulk? <laughs> and, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, um, uh, yeah, no, I just saying it again for the third time, out loud. And I, I laughed out loud three times in a row now. <laughs> is Samson okay with Hulk doing this? Is Hulk really the devil Hulk? Is he just like trying to be like, oh, maybe I am. Maybe I ain't. I don't know. Either way, I'm fully capable of smashing some shit. Meanwhile, let's hit up the cemetery. I have a feeling Betty's going to be here. Or maybe that's not what's going to happen at all. Oh, look at this gravestone. Anybody's capable of dying and coming back to life. Look at you, Samson. Well, 
Meanwhile, if you turn your head, you'll see this grave to your right, and it says Rick Jones. And it's not just a gravestone that says Rick Jones. It's an empty casket. So, that's how we get left off. Rick Jones is back from the dead as well. We're just getting all of this. Everybody's coming back from the dead that is crucial and vital to this amazing immortal Hulk story that has been told. And now I can confirm that this is an amazing Hulk story. You went from that deep, deep, very, like, this is some shit-in-your-face type of tone, like, take a step back and think about all this stuff that we're fucking up all on our own. And here's a joke. <laughs> I, I love that about this. It's, it's, it's great. Uh, I, I, totally sold on this. Totally sold. So I think the, the takeaway from this here is that we possibly have an immortal Rick Jones. And the beloved Dr. Samson that was featured in issue two that is pushing the, the, this series to be incredibly financially gaining. I don't know if that's a term that works, but I'm going to go with it. You know what I mean. Um, the fact is, is this entire run is worth more and more as the, the series goes on because all of these vital or these issues are coming out with mind-blowing key moments. Um, like Rick, or Doc Sampson coming back from the dead, and Rick Jones coming back from the dead, and I, I don't know. I, I can't say enough about this book, to be honest. I'd probably just keep repeating myself. Fact is, this is, issue number 15 ha is now my favorite issue of this run. So, cheers to that. Now, <laughs> we get the Avengers number 17, Legacy 707. Jason Aaron, David Marquez, and Eric Arcianega, covered by David Marquez and Matthew Wilson. Alright, there is a lot going on here, but this is wrapping up the Vampire War arc, and it does it in a wonderful, wonderful way. So it starts out with Dracula being granted his wish of dying in solitude in exchange for... Um, oh, but he's with the Crimson Guard, which is pretty much the Russian Avengers. And the new leader of the Crimson Guard is the Red Widow, and it's kind of this somewhat new character. It's kind of a wild card. Nobody really knows what to expect from this person. But he uh, grants Dracula his wish, but he pulls a fast one on him, and he's like, oh, yeah, no, you could live and die in your own land in solitude where no one will bother you. You don't have to worry about ruling any empires, any kingdoms like that, because that's apparently Dracula. All American well wants, according to what he said. Well, he puts him in Chernobyl. <laughs> and he's like, here you go. And Dracula's like, ah, well, hmm, this sucks. And as it turns out, like, he's pretty, pretty fucking cool with that, because he's got some plans. But that's all in the end. Meanwhile, we flash to all of the action. Um, in the last issue, we had the Legion of the Undead being led by the Shadow Colonel, dropping these uh, blood vi vampire virus rats in this prison that is in uh, the Legion of the, or I mean, the Crimson Guard, where Dracula is being held. And all of a sudden, Shadow Colonel had a change of heart. He's like, instead of, you know, destroying all vampires, I think we've taken enough of them out to where now we can create our own and be cool with that. And then I was kind of, like, taken back by that in the last issue. 
And as this this issue progresses, you totally figure out why the fuck all that is. And <laughs> it's, it's dope. So, yeah, now we get this amazing fight with, um, well, the Shadow Colonel eventually, along with the Legion of the Undead and Sarge, makes his way to confront the Winter Guard and uh, Red Crimson, or Red Crimson, something like that. Uh, Crimson, I forgot what it is. Red Widow, my bad. She, uh, She's kind of going back and forth with uh, Shadow Colonel a bit and kind of convinces... Like, you realize through this little bit of dialogue, uh, regardless of what the actual dialogue is, the delivery here shows that this this character is very, very strong and capable and confident in its ability. And Shadow Colonel's like, I'll take you out. This dude's like, <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you have no idea... Believe me, you just want to listen to what the fuck I'm doing. Um, uh, so, Dracula is out doing this, and yeah, here's here's what... And then right on cue, Avengers show up to take everybody out, because they just like to fuck shit up. They have no idea what's going on. So we get Blade leading Black Panther with... I mean, I'm going to just go ahead and say a lightsaber, <laughs> but that's kind of what it looks like there. She-Hulk, Iron Man, and Captain America... And they go in there, and we just get a Legion of the Undead verse. Um, well, not necessarily verse Crimson Guard, because they take off. Uh, they just like, bye-bye, we just leave this fight to them. And we get a pretty sweet multi-page just action scene. And then while Sarge is attacking, uh, attacking, attacking She-Hulk, <laughs> she's like, oh, are you the, are you the dog? That hurt the Ghost Rider? <laughs> Check it out. We bring someone we want you to meet. And I'll be dipped if that dog isn't Thori. Thor's dog. And the dialogue here from Thori. Yes, Thori talks. Thundermaster say you think you better murder dogs than Thori? Thori make murder now. It's <laughs> <laughs> so fucking good. <laughs> and so we, we essentially get this battle of like this... Uh, Two very demonic, not necessarily demonic, but godly-like pit bull creatures. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and say that Thori does come out ahead. And then we get, we finally get the battle between Shadow Colonel and Blade. And I'll be damned if this isn't fucking dope. Because you got to keep in mind, this isn't just Shadow Colonel. This is Shadow Colonel with Boy Thing. Yes, Boy Thing. What's a Boy Thing? Let's, let's take a second to remember what a Boy Thing is. A boy thing is a mini man thing that Shadow Colonel keeps around his neck because one thing that a woodland creature, regenerative type of creature, is very, very good at is creating wooden stakes. And when you're a vampire hunter, wooden stakes come in fucking handy. So he has this innate capability of just like making an unlimited amount of wooden stakes due to his bond with boy thing. Well, Blade goes through and eventually separates the two. And <laughs> um, <clears throat> there comes a point in time where, while Boy Thing is separated, the two are fighting, and it looks like Shadow Colonel is about to get him. Well, out of the shadows comes Ghost Rider, and why that's so significant is because we thought Ghost Rider went home on account of how he just had his mind fucking rattled because Sarge was able to get all up in there. Well. 
Yeah, no, so the Avengers, after getting that whole thing taken care of, they're like, Robbie, you go home, you fucking take a nap. So you thought he was gone. Nope, he comes back, he saves Blade like a motherfucker. And in doing so, the Shadow Colonel's pretty much kind of taken care of at this point. And the, the Avengers are... Or Blade's, like, getting ready to just do his thing. He, like, he's got boy thing on him at this point, and he's got some wooden stakes out, and the Avengers are like, no, you can't, that's, we don't, we don't kill. And Blade's just like, I guess I'm about to quit the Avengers. And I had to stop for a second, I was like, no, they wouldn't fucking do that to me already. Like, Blade is not about to kill him. I mean, we gotta keep Blade for a minute. Like, we gotta keep Blade for a minute. This has been the... One of the best fucking goddamn surprise team-ups I've read all year in the first quarter of the year. And Blade grows out wooden boy thing stakes, and he fucking decapitates Shadow Colonel. Bye-bye. Bye-bye, Shadow Colonel. Decapitates him. That's it. The, The leader of the Legion of the Undead. And just like that, I, I'm, I don't, the whole time I'm like, God damn it, Blade's not to go, about to be in a fucking Avenger anymore. Shadow Colonel was dope, and I gotta emphasize the word was. Uh, at least we got Sarge. Wait, did Thori kill Sarge? Thankfully, no. Thankfully, no. The rest of the Legion of the Undead managed to escape, minus Sarge, because Thori does have him pinned down. And this turns out to be... Um, the Avengers' future potential gateway to track down the Legion of the Undead again. We fast forward to Dracula back in Chernobyl, and behind him is the Legion of the Undead. And I'm like, uh-oh, they're still pretty loyal to their people. And then now they approach the Shadow, or they bring him Shadow Colonel's head. And you're like, oh shit, they were gonna, they're just gonna like trade with whoever. And then we get the bombshell, and then, uh, once again, this is a spoiler-filled <clears throat> uh, podcast. Shadow Colonel was Dracula's son the whole time. The whole time Shadow Colonel was supposedly hunting him, he was all just, Shadow Cur- or Dracula made him a pawn. Like, that's how fucking ruthless Dracula is. This was all his plan. He's creating, which is now coined as, the Kingdom of the Vampires in Chernobyl with... Shadow Colonel's remaining Legion of the Undead. Meanwhile, back at the Avengers headquarters, uh, Blade walks in, and everybody's surprised. And they're like, dude, you're, uh, are you, we thought you were, like, not a thing. And he's like, you know what? Again, if you'll have me, I think you guys are going to need me. And so at this point, Robbie's back with the team. I was afraid that we were going to lose Robbie for a bit, even though we did get glimpses of, and still do get one more glimpse of Johnny Blaze at one point. So Johnny Blaze is in Robbie's head for some reason. And I still haven't figured all that out. That relates back to all of the mind control shit that Sarge was throwing down. And um, Yeah, no, that's all... That's all to be determined. But in the meantime, they pretty much set it up as, like, we're going to take a break from all this for a second because the War of the Realms is about to kick off, is how I get the tone out of all this. And this is, in fact, I mean, it's Jason Aaron, which is the guy that's writing War of the Realms, so he would know best. I, I, I can't stress enough how 
impressed I am with how a writer can consistently, through 17 fucking issues, most of them bi-weekly issues, be a more and more interesting and team story. It's, this is the best team story out there by far. There's some amazing shit. Marvel by far takes the cake. I mean, as team stories go and independent go, fucking Bitterroot. Or, yeah. Bitterroot. Yeah, that's the one. The Sangrees. That's the goddamn team I'm waiting for. And it took five issues to fucking get there. We got that today. I don't know, man. I, I don't know what else to say about this this Avengers team. It's It's been lovely. And I can't I can't wait to see how Blade sticks with this team to fight Frost Giants. <laughs> like it's I don't I don't if you're not excited about that I don't think you love comics on the level I do. Not that there's anything wrong with that. We have a weird love. Moving along, another Avengers story. This is part of the weekly ten part series. The other Avengers, if you will, Avengers No Road Home number six, Legacy seven hundred and thirteen. Al Ewing, Jim's of Mark Wade, Sean Izaski. J. David Ramos, and Marcio Menez. So, as the last issue left off, Scarlet Witch was dropped off and teleported in Chimeria to be picked up by the the wonderful uh, Conan the Barbarian. And throughout here, we get this amazing montage of Conan. Pretty much what happens here is Scarlet's like, so we're looking for the shard. Um, the, the, the bounty on getting the shard to where it needs to be is a treasure beyond measurement. And I'll split it with you. Conan's not necessarily aware that it's not monetary, <laughs> but he's he's along with it because, you know, Conan, he's that's what he does. And Scarlet's like, but in the meantime, the thing is is that uh Nyx has the ability to see through my eyes. I can't see a goddamn thing. But she could see through everything, and as soon as she sees the shard, she's going to immediately show up and fuck us all up. So, I need you to help me find this shard, but when you find this shard, you can't, like, show me the shard. <laughs> so, Conan's like, ah, this sounds like fun. So, they go through Chimeria and uh, immediately have to face this fucking awesome scorpion giant thingy, and it immediately cuts the horse in half, and we get a pretty sweet fucking duo, this is probably in the top five panels of the week for sure, we got Conan stabbing his sword through the top of the brain of this thing, meanwhile screaming, ready your ma your foul magic witch, and aim toward the sound of my voice, <laughs> so he's screaming at her, and like this... Uh, but at the same time, it works perfectly, and it's the only they 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 manage to take out this monstrous Godzilla type of like it looks like something Godzilla would have a problem with for a minute, just for a minute though. Uh, so yeah, no. And meanwhile, they're like, "Well, shit, our horse is dead, but um, hungry." So <laughs> Conan like feeds Scarlet Witch the horse, and they're like, "All right, let's just carry on." He's like, "I know a place." Where, you know, we might get some answers in the morning, and they, they they come across this, like, little thieves thing, and they get some answers, and he recognizes some markings, and it leads him into this town, and they sneak their way into the town, he's not welcome in the town, so they have to go in disguise, and meanwhile we flash forward to the rest of the happenings of this team, because, you know, this is an Avengers book, it's not just Scarlet Witch being introduced to Conan, 
Um, we know that Vision and Hercules were kind of evaporated mysteriously when Nyx did her thing. But we know that Rocket, Hawkeye, and Hulk are all in the Nightmare Realm with Nightmare fighting Hypnos. Well, Hulk snaps Hypnos neck, and that's, that's what we're seeing here. Meanwhile, Hawkeye's like, oh, dude, that's dumb. I, that's deep. Meanwhile, Hulk, he's still throwing his jabs on account of Hawkeye, like take, Hawkeye taking out Bruce Banner in Civil War too, in the manner that he did. And what does he say? He's like, oh, yeah, no, I should have uh, hidden the tree and just shot him with an arrow while he was, you know, just a 90-pound scientist instead of snapping his neck <laughs> in his face. And meanwhile, you see that, you know, Hulk has this shard. And Rocket's like, fucking sweet! How does it work? <laughs> He's like, maybe Nightmare will know. And then Nightmare pops up in, right behind, not in, behind <laughs> Rock Raccoon in this, like, pretty comedic way. And he's like, ah, or whatever. And Nightmare's like, well, uh, I don't, you know, it's kind of a, I'm not sure. <laughs> Things happen here while you sleep, so in Nightmares, anything's kind of possible. Meanwhile, you see uh, Hulk. Very, and this is more reminiscent to the cover of issue number five, where you see Hulk's face in the reflection of the shard. This is what we're actually getting here. And you see Hulk pretty much going, hmm, endless night. Imagine that. You know, in the daytime, I don't really have the, uh, the control to come out unless, you know, PewDiePie Banner is under attack. If it's endless night, then I have complete control. So he, like, looks at this shard, and he just fucking snaps it in half. <coughs> Meanwhile, we go back to Chimeria, and we see this dream sequence, and it refers to a little bit of dialogue that I skipped over in the beginning of Conan referring to Krom, and Krom being a god that doesn't need prayed to, and Krom is the god of this hill, or has this god protecting this hill. So through this nightmare sequence, we go into a nightmare that both Scarlet Witch and Hulk wake up from, and we see Hulk standing there, and we may be referring to Hulk as being the god that Krom has dubbed to guard this hill. So we're immediately re referring, we're cross-referencing universes again here on a separate level. So, but that, that instantly kind of goes away for a second. They're like, oh shit, like, how did you, did you do this to me, woman? And they're like, no, I was just fucking dreaming too. I don't know what's going on. And that's really the only bit we get out of that sequence. So it's very mysterious, very Al Ewing, like, that's for goddamn sure. And it only makes sense because it's a Hulk thing. I just like to see Hulk, or Al Ewing also riding Rocket Raccoon and Hawkeye in the same way. And referring to fucking old jabs, I love it. I love it. Meanwhile... We got, <laughs> right after this, like, oh, waking up thing, we we get this, the moment that I've pretty much been anticipating, and if you've been listening to the past 22 episodes, you know I'm not one for romances and comics, it's just not my thing, but from the very beginning, in issue number five, when Conan reaches his arm out to pick up Scarlet Witch, I was like, this is the relationship that I want in comics. And I'll be damned if I don't stand by that when we almost get the kissing scene and then, no, if I can, it's time to go, uh, windstorm kicks up. Time to go to the, the, sneak into the city. And they go and sneak into the city and they go to try to buy this magic, like, disguise me robe. And uh, we get a pretty fun, like, nine panel bartering scene. It's just, I don't, I don't, I want to say this is some Jim Zub writing. If I had to give credit to someone, if I know my writers. It's just nine panels of amazing bartering between <laughs> whatever. 
And then finally Conan gets this, uh, he gets this robe that, you know, you think you're just going to hide over her so that, you know, to, she can't be recognized. And it turns out, he, after they make the deal, the guy, or Conan, just rips the robe as he's, like, boasting over the quality of the fabrics and the embroidering and all that. And he just, like, takes, like, a little piece of the robe and he ties it around Scarlet Witch's eyes so she can't see. <laughs> and fucking, I just found that to be hilarious, personally. I don't know. I, I can't do it any justice without reading it in character and voice, and that's, that's not what I do. But I, that's all the more reason for you to want to read this book yourself. So they're going through blindfolded, and as the clues build up, they realize that they have this whole, like, owl gang, if you will. And they have the, they're trying to use this shard and its power... So, yes, they found where the shard is. They're trying to use its power to summon this avian god with this whole sacrificial thing. And they go to um, help make sure this girl isn't sacrificed. But the shard still does fall on her and cut her, still allowing the avian god to come out. So then we get a battle with a fucking avian god. and I, I, I know it sounds like a lot in just 20 pages, but it's it's fucking good man I love it I love it so much and then in all of that um, the, the lady that or the lady that was saved she runs up to Scarlet Witch and she's like oh this is the treasure she has the shard in her hand like, here's the treasure for you and she takes off her blindfold and <laughs> Scarlet Witch is forced to look at the shard and she's like ah oh, you stupid fucking bitch and then right on cue just as Scarlet Witch here Nick shows up and that's where we leave off and I, I gotta say, with three writers writing this, you know, this story, it's, I love it. I love this, I love this 10 part, it's, it's a $50 investment. It's 10 weeks, $5 an issue, and I, I I'm, I'm grateful for it. The fact is, is that Conan is in the Avengers universe now. That was not a dream sequence or anything like that. At least this doesn't seem like a dream sequence at this point. This all seems pretty fucking relevant to me. Uh, I'm very, if anything's dreaming, it's the whole nightmare realm. I can't imagine, you know, like, I don't know, it's, Hulk is the devil Hulk at this point. We just, you know, we just talked about Immortal Hulk, so it only makes sense that maybe all of that is legit. Maybe Hulk is turning into a fucking bad guy. I don't know. Fact is, I dig it. Last book I'm going to talk about this week, and I think it's only proper I save this one for last. It is a doozy. Thor, number 11, 11, Legacy 717, Jason, Aaron, Lee and Antonio Fabella filling in for the usual Mike Del Mundo. Uh, But Mike Del Mundo did throw down a pretty dope cover. So, what this book is, is the prelude to Marvel's biggest event since Secret Wars, or at least their words, not mine. Um, The War of the Realms. Book starts out with Thor flying through the sun, determined to find Mjolnir. He hasn't had Mjolnir for a while. He's had a bunch of trolls making hammers, but they just they don't last. They don't have the same abilities that Mjolnir did as far as interdimensional travel and all of that good stuff. And the, and the reason why he's specifically searching in the sun is because that's where Asgard was destroyed. So as he flies through there, unsuccessful on multiple attempts, uh, just melting hammer after hammer after hammer trying to get there, we get Lady Freya, or the All-Mother, 
trying to convince Thor that he could do all this without um, Mjolnir. And we get this whole cosmic sequence, like this cosmic um, ship, and I don't mean like spaceship, I mean like a Viking ship, and it's only proper being Asgardian and all. So she's trying to remind Thor of a time where he saved the day under impossible odds without any, any of using any of his powers, really. Or his major powers. Um, and that particular instance would be a tsunami on a Hawaiian island. And the island's drowning and he comes down and, you know, he can't save the, this, this instance with thunder or anything like that. And he just he's able to just will his way with a whole lot of hammer spinning. Not necessarily Mjolnir spinning, but just hammer spinning. And he kind of like parts it all like Moses, if you will. And it's all just resembling how he he's, he's fully capable. Meanwhile, he's trying to rebut her argument, and he we get this flashback of what I found to be... Uh, at first, I couldn't figure out what the significance was, but I, knowing Jason Aaron, I know that this is going to mean something probably pretty fucking cool. And I'll explain that more in a second. So we go back to a reference from... Issue number seven of Thor, when Odin and Loki team up on a um, flashback type of issue, and it's referring to them teaching, this is actually the issue that Thor becomes worthy, but it at the same time, Oh, I'm not sure how to explain this. It refers to Erica the Red. Erica the Red was Thor's first mortal love. And Loki and Odin trick Thor into going to battle and making a very a very intriguing battle as to the point where, you know, Thor's just not going to say no to it. But realizing that Erica the Red is immortal, by the time the battle's over, he comes back to his love and she's dead. Because she's just a fucking human, <laughs> you know. Just, you can't go on a forty-year war when you know. It's, yeah, that's just not how life works. So it taught him this big lesson that was pretty much like the last we heard from Erica the Red until this, and then we realized why Thor and Erica the Red tie in just a little bit more along with Mjolnir, and one of the last uh. In a, Occur instances that the All Mother and Thor had before the separation was while Thor was still trying to prove his worthiness by lifting Mjolnir. Freya explained to him, "I think you should chase love instead of worthiness," and then that's kind of what convinced Thor to be okay with Erica the Red and that whole relationship and all of that. At least that's what I get out of this. The main thing that I actually think that should be taken out of this beyond all of that is the fact that I have a feeling that Erica the Red will be making an appearance at some point. I think she might be back from the dead. Marvel's clearly okay with bringing people back from the dead. I don't see any... I, I don't... I, I could be wrong. That's completely speculation. But if Erica the Red came back... And if you guys don't know who Erica the Red is, just seriously read issue number 7 of Thor of the, this last run because she's fucking dope. So, yeah, no, I, I don't think I could do this page any justice, even though I spent so much time on it. There's so much to this book, because we flip the page, and then we get Jane Foster finding out that she's cured of fucking cancer, and that's all we know. 
She's just being told that she's cured of cancer. She walks down the street, and then you hear Gakroom, and that representing thunder. And, yeah, no, that's, that's, <laughs> Jane Foster's back. That's fucking crazy. Um, Valkyrie and Lady Sif are sword fight training, sparring. Uh, Loki is on Jotunheim while the Frost Giants are gearing up for war, and Loki's all disappointed in himself that his little scheme and way to try to end the war or prevent the war just didn't work, so he's all self-sulking or whatever, but I think the main point to take out of this is what's going on in the background, and that's the Frost Giants gearing up. And then finally, we go to Spartan Plum. I said that wrong. But we get Malachis rounding up his armies, and their their first stop is Midgard. So the war is among us, and the the last page is Thor coming out of the sun or leaving the sun, realizing that he is going to have to do this without Mjolnir, and he is going to have to take the war to Midgard. And the whole point, why reason why he thinks he needs Mjolnir is not necessarily his ability to fight, but his ability to interdimensionally travel to get there. To he he could take it all on himself if he could just get there, but he can't. Because he doesn't have any way. Because Odin's fucking worthless, the Bifrost isn't a thing, and Mjolnir's the only other way that he knows of. So, the fact, then that's why we have the War of the Realms. It is to protect Midgard. So, that is the roundup for Marvel Comics. I am so fucking excited for War of the Realms. And you bet that I will be giving you every single bit, snippet, uh, tie-in issue, no matter if I'm reading it or not, I am going to be talking about everything that is War of the Realms. Because, for one, Jason Aaron was the fucking man. And two, Daredevil is going to get a sword. So, bam. Alright, from this point, I like to feature a single independent book that was reached out to me. Um, this, uh, I like to create our own stuff. I am very... Very pro uh, promotion, for that matter. I like to see the underdogs come up. There's a lot of good stuff out there. There's thousands and thousands of great stories out there that have gone undiscovered. And that's just because maybe they just haven't given the chance yet. I can't necessarily say that I'm the guy that's going to give you the chance, but... Either way, I'm going to talk about it. I'm honored that somebody took the time to reach out to me, so I can only take the time to at least look at your book. Um, if you know anything about my future reviewing, uh, this is pretty much a disclaimer at this point from here on, there's a couple things about me, I don't normally do manga, I, I can't say normally, I don't ever do manga comics ever, so I, I'm not, I'm not an eastern comic book reader, so that is going to probably come off in my tone during this review. And this is a, re a review, not an overview. This is I'm not going to tell you what's going on in the story because I'm trying to get you guys to read it. Um, but I am going to give you my, my first take, my first impression on reading it. So, let's get on with it. The book is Super Ready Battle Armor from Halftone Productions. Created by Bradley Adon and illustrated by Luis Argueta Roldan. So, um, from here, I will go ahead and say that this is a this is a manga. Uh, my first initial impression on the cover 
was for one cool name sounded like I was about to go into space whoops my ass and two there was a whole lot of bright colors so I was expecting to go into this for one not really expecting to like the the story or anything about it to be perfectly honest because let's face it manga I don't like it but I like colorful things that's always been something that's drawn me in Unfortunately, I didn't get any color because the book is done in a grayscale. So, now, being that I don't read manga, I don't know what to compare this to. Now, to be fair, I had I did review a manga webcomic previously, and I even went as far as to interview the creator. Uh, that just so happened to be a needle in a haystack scenario for me when it comes to Eastern style art. And it wasn't Eastern style style storytelling, I will say that. So, uh, that was probably the, the differentiating factor there, to be honest. But back on this, this was about as Eastern style as I imagine an Eastern style manga would be. Um, I don't know what to take, uh, the, it starts out where we have this pretty awesome, and I will say, the, the start of this is pretty awesome as far as the, the battling goes, and we, we see this, this battle suit, or battle armor, maybe, uh, whooping some ass, and then we realize that this is like a boss scenario, is how it's quoted, and then from there, I'm like, oh, shit, okay, this is like a video game type of thing. And then we flash to this sequence where we're in this uh, quote-unquote cafe, and there's this oracle scenario thing. So I, I, I get the, the immediate impression of, like, some Matrix type of stuff happening here. There's no, I mean, I don't mean oracle as in Matrix. I mean... Some other dimensionally video game escape type of stuff. I don't mean escape, sorry, Tony Stark. You know what I'm trying... Virtual reality, that's what I'm trying to fucking say. So, uh, I immediately see the the draw to a... I mean, the vast gaming world right then and there. Like, I think this is going to be... The, my first take of this is this is for the gamer... And that's another thing about myself, is I'm not a big gamer. And the only reason I can say that is just based off the first uh, six pages. Through the first six pages. So, after we get this cafe scenario, we realize that our our main character, B.A., as he's referred to, is waking up. And he's got this mohawked fail staring at him, and they're in this weird stone room... And they're talking about the the car that they rejacked, and I say rejacked because they stole a car that was stolen from a buddy of theirs or a friend of theirs. And then you realize that this room they're in turns out to be jail, and then jail cell opens up and B A gets out, but the other mohawked fella, not so lucky, he sits in jail cell. Um, and then from there we get this this moment. Uh, this uh, the family moment. The person that really gets B.A. out of there seems... He seems really, I get the first impression he's a super privileged kid because he's got this... He's got a mom with connections and she even is even portrayed at one point in time with like this uh, classified... Maybe that's not even her. I don't know. Yeah. 
classified bar over her eyes like she's too important to even be I, I'm not I, I'm not totally sure to be honest from here on out for the next uh, 16 pages we're getting what I imagine and expect out of anything that's ever anime or manga that I would ever imagine as far as the art style goes uh, I'm not and once again, because it lacks the color, it was color. It was just a little bit harder to me. There's things that really threw me off as far as them trying to uh, create this because this is an issue number one, creating the this universe. And I, I can't distinguish the characters because when they go into their crazy cartoon form, they're super exaggerated. Blah, 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 blah. Crazy plus sign on the forehead, getting ready to throw a pokeball for him. And I don't mean any disrespect by that. This is my thoughts and feelings on manga. Um, you know what? Uh, my engineer, as some may know him as Mason, is far more in, engulfed in the world of manga. Am I off on the, the art on this? Like, what? No, the, the, I mean, the art is, is appropriate for the most part. I mean, it depends on who you ask. I will say, I'm sorry, guys. Like, the eyes through the hair can be sloppy for some people, especially if... I actually enjoy that well, aspect of it. Well, sometimes you will get, like, eyebrows and eyelashes through the hair, but just the, completely the eyes going through the hair, I have to say, for me, a little bit, eh. Although, I will say, as far as, you know, issue number one of a production I've never heard of, absolutely, it's it's pretty damn well done. Oh, okay, right on. Well, um, cool. But I do have to say, like, you gave me a moment to read through this and actually, you know, take a, a real step back and look at it, and the one thing I have to say is that the dialogue could be a little bit more human. Not just the dialogue, but the story flow all overall. It just doesn't feel human. It feels like you're trying to throw stuff. Just lighten up, and you know, You've got a great concept from what I can tell. Well, see, I want to just make it seem like it's it's people talking to each other. It feels like you're talking to yourself a little bit but in what, some spots. Well, I, 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 I see where you're coming from there, and I thought that. But at the same time, I also thought, because after the first six pages, I'm like, wait, where's, like, the battle armor and stuff? So as the dialogue went along, I started thinking, I was like, maybe these people aren't necessarily people. Like, uh, maybe this is, the robotic speaking is possibly the, the, yes, the, the battle, I, I know, I, I, I could go both ways. I, I, I get what okay. you're, yes, okay. no, because you have one guy who, his name is BA, which I'm assuming is for battle armor, and if you look at the design on his hands, they're different from everybody else. His hands look like they are either gloved or robotic. Gotcha. Ah, okay, cool. So, I mean, so if you want to give that to him, yes, but everybody else seems a little bit more human. Ah, yeah. And, in, and, and even then, like, you have your, your BA character acting like, you know, I'm this charming model-style guy at some points, and, you know, girls fawn over him, and you, I get it. No, and I see, it, and it that's could use a little bit more human to it. Gotcha. No, I totally get you. To me, that's just how I kind of perceive most so Eastern could be more human. And and I will I will give that for. So that's the thing is if you want to set yourself aside from being generic media, you need to have a little bit more of a human flow to it. 
Because there is plenty of, yes, I will agree with you, if you go and you watch anime and, and you read lots of manga out there, there's plenty of just generic tropes of characters behave this way, this character is this two-dimensional until freaking 25 or to, to 60 episodes you finally get some little piece of information about that character. But overall, the ones that have really captured me are the ones that immediately give me a reason to care about the characters and it feels human and it's not terribly predictable but it's also there's there's a lot of things I want to say about this and I want to say they're on a good track there's just some things that definitely could be improved uh, well and you know issue number ones especially for brand new projects have a track record of not necessarily always getting across what they want off and these guys, did, it's not like they're like, here's, here's a 50-page issue number one. They're like, no, they give us a 28-page issue. I'm, 28 pages is fine. Like, that's a dandy number. I think it was more like 26 because of the last couple of pages weren't necessarily story. So that's 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 a perfect number for an issue number. You don't necessarily, I, I like that there's still a lot to be desired. I like the idea that it involves some sort of car theft thievery with rival gangs and stuff like that. So that seems to be the premise of... The, the the main characters that I've come across, and the main characters are Claire and Iron, and uh, then we got Michelo seems to be the big boss, and B A and uh, yeah B A and, and yeah no there's Dominic. yeah and uh, Dominic is Donimic. Donimic. I know I tried to purposely say Dominic and then it still came out Dominic. <laughs> um, He's trying to, I, I don't know, there's there's a lot of, like I said, we want you guys to read it. And we'll drop all of the links for sure. I definitely, I definitely say that it's something to keep your eye on. There's great production quality, and I think that they're onto something. It's just build it up, you know, get that snowball rolling down the hill and get it some mass and yep. then wreck everything in front of you and keep on plowing through. For sure. Uh, their Kickstarter, I believe, starts uh, somewhere in the middle of April, so... Yeah, no, I, 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 once again, I, I know it sounds, it probably sounds like I shit all over this, that's not how I roll, I just have to tell you guys, if you're going to submit a comic to me, know that I don't, I, it's not that I'm, I don't like manga, flat out, and I don't like it. And my standards are high. And my engineer's standards, who is my eastern expert, his standards are very high, he just kind of lets me know what's, what's in the normal, what's I'm abnormal, what the standards are. Like and the facial expressions, that's very much, like, falls into things I'm very familiar with. Like, even with extremely, extremely dark novelizations that you have in manga, you're still going to have those goofy faces every now and again. It's, it's something that really gives you, it, it, it's comedic relief at some time. And sometimes it's not even comedic relief, it's just that's the styling that's been picked up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I will say that I do like the uh, the very dramatic change in text. That was, I, I do like that, because it really does deliver the tone, the proper tone. And it gives notice to panels that, yeah, no, I, I, I dug that for sure. And like I said, it's not that, uh, this is just not a type of story that I would ever go out of my way to read. I'm more than happy to read it and review it. Once again, though, guys, like I said, just it's gonna be hard to get an A plus rating out of me on a on a manga. That's 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 all. Well, they're gonna get ten minutes out of you. Yeah, no, I, I yeah, no, that's I, I I more than appreciate them taking the time. 
And it's very brave of them to submit this to me. I, I give them that. <laughs> uh, so once again, that is Bradley Edan, uh, Luis Ergueta Roldan. So, uh, once again, get on their Kickstarter. We're going to put all of the links and descriptions and all of that good stuff. One, Like I said, thank you so much for submitting, guys. I know for a fact that this book is going to deliver something incredible down the road. Uh, I know that this is much more than a gang type of thing because the name of the book is Super Ready Battle Armor. So there's going to be some something to that. I am more than certain. So I would say stay tuned. We are going to keep you guys in tune as they go along because as far as I'm concerned, they are uh, cool with cheers to comics, man. So, thank you guys for submitting your comics, and like I said, the shorter the better, but we'll give everything a chance. Alright, well, from here I want to just kind of give a quick little shout out to other books that I gave a shot this week. I couldn't necessarily find some talking points, but I definitely found them worth mentioning that you should go pick up. Uh, the first one being a number one called Invisible Kingdom by G. Willow Wilson and Christian Ward. I heard some chatter in the the comic book store about it. I picked it up. Now, my thing is, is I've never been a fan of G. Willow Wilson's work normally. And I will admit that I got halfway through this and I was like, no, I could totally see how 100,000 people could buy this book. I'm just not going to buy issue number two. But nevertheless, I thought that it was totally worth mentioning because it is a number one. Uh, Marvel book uh, was Savage Sword of Conan, number three, Legacy 238. I uh, told you guys I was going to drop it off my pull list, and apparently the LCS didn't get the memo. It's not that I don't like it, it's just I don't think i got time for this right now. I am going to actually give it a shot since I have it. No comic shall go unread. Uh, one of the Spider-Man books I told you I wasn't going to get to this week was Spider-Man The Life Story, number one, the 60s. Chip Zarsky, Mark Bagley, John Dell, and Frank DeMarta. So initially, I actually was under the impression this was just going to be a bunch or a, a, a retelling mashup of some 60s Spider-Man. Then I realized the premise of this book actually is Spider-Man aging in real time starting in the 60s. So I uh, didn't learn that until it was too late. So I am going to read this book and maybe eventually once the all of the, the decades are complete by Mr. Chip, I'll do a little thingy on it. Uh, another one of those Spider-Man books was Spider-Man City at War, number one. This is introducing the video game PS4 Spider-Man into the Marvel Universe. An alternate universe, but the comic book universe nevertheless. So, I believe he made a small appearance, and he definitely made a small appearance in the uh, Spider-Verse, Spider-Geddon extravaganza. And yeah, no, no, now he's back. Um, the thing is, is that I had re already read two Spider-Man books, and I haven't got to play the game yet, <laughs> so I'm not super invested in this character. I'm just a guy that's got to have a number one. I will get around to reading this eventually, but probably not until I play a game. Or unless I hear from the masses, this is a must-read book. I hear Dennis Hopeless is badass. I know he's badass. Uh, DC Vertigo, Lucifer, Sandman Universe. I, uh, 
Uh, I wish I got around to it this week. I've been totally reading the last three issues of Lucifer. It's been increasingly getting better and better. It's starting to make more and more sense to me, that style of slaying man universe writing. Fortunately, I was just a little short on time this week. Definitely have every intention of reading it. Uh, not, uh, the last book that I, I, I did actually read, I just couldn't find exactly what to talk about. It was more of a... Um, I, don't, I don't even know how to explain it, but it was uh, Wolverine Infinity Watch number two. It was great. It was a great book. It was them searching for the, the you know, the, the when Adam Warlock dispersed the, all of the Infinity Stones after that event and gave them all a soul, if you will. Um, metaphorically speaking, I guess. I thought it meant literally at first. guess that was untrue. One of them's the only one we know... Uh, the location of turned out to go into this prison about uh, this guy was on death row he's falsely accused and he gets ends up getting out of there now here we are flashing forward to him they're searching for that stone they they're telling the guy what his abilities are and blah 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 it's really just a fun book it's loki and wolverine teaming up so there were lots of other books, great stuff. By no means did I even scratch the surface of all the great stuff that came out that week. I unfortunately don't have all the money in the world, nor the time. So, let's move on to uh, wall books. So, only a couple this week. Well, actually, there's three total, but two of them are connecting along with um, the original cover as well. So, we have a triple connecting cover of Justice League number 20. And I must say that it all fits together very beautifully. On the left side we got our Justice League and uh, in the middle we got Mr. Mixelplick and and uh, and Future Superman. Or no, I guess he would be on the right side. And on the right side we have uh, Future Superman. So, yeah, no, it's uh it's all pretty badass stuff. I I really dug this. I'm pretty I actually think this is going to go along with my connecting cover wall pieces. Uh, the other wall book that I picked up, I didn't I didn't pre-order it because it didn't sell me online, but when I saw it up close, I was like, oh, that's pretty badass. Dave Johnson did the variant for Batman 67, and it's just a shadowy Batman over a very super detailed building perch in Gotham City, and the lighting, and, the, and it's all in grayscale. I fucking love that cover. It was dope. So, those are the wall books. I guess at this point I can talk about my favorite stuff. Um, there was some some good stuff. It was really hard for me to pick my book of the week. There was some stuff that came back that I was really excited about that hit hard. There was some things that caught me off guard that I wasn't expecting to be so good. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it's really hard to say. Uh, you know what? I, I guess it's not, now that I think about it. Avengers No Road Home number six. Conan and Scarlet Witch teaming up in Chimera, taking on uh, more than any of us can handle. That's for fucking sure. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, Conan is in the Marvel Universe. And I got to say that uh, his, his appearance lately through, the, you know, Jason Aaron starting it all has been fucking spectacular. And I love the way all of this is going down. I like how... Hulk threw down in the weird, mysterious way with his possibly confirming him being a devil Hulk type of thing. I don't know. Uh, as far as the gizzards of the week, the interiors, the insides, there was 
Oh, uh, you know, I'm just gonna go ahead and say that it was just refreshing to see Rob Gilroy back, so I'm gonna have to give it to Farmhand. I love, I love it all. The the colors as well, so the walls just complements it all so good. I just love flipping every page. It's just so pretty on my eyes. Uh, yeah, and as far as covers go, oh man, I don't even know. I, I don't think I can say. Uh, you know, probably the Justice League connecting. I guess it would only make sense for all three of them. It's just, it's, it just goes together well. Yeah, bam. So yeah, there we have it, everybody. Those are my favorites of the week. We have gone through all of the stuff in the past. Let's talk about what we have to look forward to. It is a light week, but I'll be dipped if it is not an extremely, extremely groundbreaking week. So, let's build up to that, shall we? Alright, let's start with the indies. Dark Horse is putting out Fight Club number three, Chuck Palahniuk, Cameron Stewart, and Nate Pikeos. I'm curious to see how much more they could fucking confuse me. I'm in for it. I'm a masochist. Uh, we also have William Gibson's Alien 3. Johnny Christmas, William Gibson, Tamara Bond villain. So this is the um, uh, director's cut of Alien 3 being told. And eventually we're, you know, so there's some ins and outs and stuff that didn't take place in the movie that's going to happen in this book. I decided that I'm going to collect the single issues but read them in a binge manner when it's all said and done. So let's move on to DC Comics. We've got Action Comics 1009 by Michael Bendis and Steve Epting. Uh, the Leviathan um, arc has been awesome. I'm so glad I jumped on Action Comics. we got Batgirl number 33, Marguerite Scott and Elena Casagrande. Batman Beyond number 30, Dan Jurgens and Ev Shaner. Evan Shaner, sorry. I think I exclaimed through the last arc and my first arc of Batman Beyond that it was my favorite current DC title, and it all came down to this new title with not-so-familiar characters confirming whether or not that this is my favorite. So I don't know. Maybe the last arc was just too familiar to me for me to not like. I don't know. We shall see. I am super fucking excited, though. The big one, though, the, the the bastard of them all, we got a big old milestone. We got Detective Comics number 1000. And we've got a whole of a slew of creators and variants and what have you. So, yes, I will be reading me some Detective Comics 1000. And I'm sure I'll be talking about some of my favorite stories as I pick them out. Uh, kudos to DC for that kind of fucking, god damn, a thousand issues, that's crazy. Flash, number 67, Joshua Williamson and Christian Deuce. Alright, Heroes in Crisis, number 7, Tom King, Clay Man. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I have a feeling this is the, the week of DC. We got Justice League Odyssey, number 7, Dan Abnett, Carmine D. Gia Dimencio. And the only Justice League title I'm not subscribed to, unfortunately. Martian Manhunter, number four. Steve Orlando and Riley Rossimo. 
this title gets weirder and reader, weirder and easier and easier to read, I think. I'm digging it. Shazam. Number four, Jeff Johns and Dale Eaglesham. Um, I, <laughs> it's only appropriate that this book is as good as it is right before the movie comes out. It makes me even more excited for the movie. That's for damn sure. Alright, and that's all I got for DC. In the world of indies, I'm just going to go ahead and drop down to Image Comics. Ice Cream Man, number 11, W. Maxwell Prince, Martin Marazzo, and Chris O'Halloran. I'm very, very excited for some Ice Cream Man. That is for damn sure. We've also got Realm, number 2, Seth Beck and Jeremy Hahn, also Image Comics. Oh, damn, I didn't realize it was already time for this. This is fucking exciting. Sharky the Bounty Hunter, number 2, Mark Miller and Simone Bianchi. So yes, I want... Uh, I'm still on board. It's only six issues, and they're coming so fast. It's going to be a short season. I'm going to... Got to enjoy it. Spawn, 295. Todd McFarlane, Jason Chan, Alexander. So, yeah, no, that's what I got for Image. Marvel Comics, uh, more Age of X-Men. We're continuing on now. We've got The Extremists, number two, Lee Williams and George Janty. Amazing Spider-Man, number 18, Nick Spencer and Umberto Ramos. We get the Hunted art continuing on, which has been my favorite of Nick Spencer's Spider-Man so far. Avengers No Road Home, number 7. This week again, as promised, Al Ewing and Paco Medino, along with Jim Zub and uh, Mark Wade. So yes, no, it continues on. Conan... Scarlet Witch, Scarnin, ship it. Black Panther number 10, Tanishi Coates and Kev Walker. Not reading Black Panther, but I uh, hear it's good. Black Widow number 3, Jen Zoska and Sylvia Zoska Flaviano. Uh, another series I'm not reading, but once again, I hear good things. This next one I am reading. Daredevil, number three, Chip Dorsky and Marco Ticciotto. I think Marco Ticciotto is one of the top three interior artists in the game, and he's only got a couple of books under his belt. Uh, Doctor Strange, number 12, Mark Wade and Barry Kitson. So we got some more Galactus and uh, Doctor Strange stuff happening. Fantastic Four, number eight, Dan Spot and Aaron Cooter. I... I... I'm surprised that Fantastic Four has brought me in the way it is. It's one of those teams that I could really give two shits about going into this. Got into it knowing that it's been a while, so I figure, yeah, maybe we'll see what happens now. And now that I'm a grown-up, reading Fantastic Four, and I dig it. Good job. Hulk Marines, number two, Grip Back and Guia Villanova. I am super digging this book. Now Wolverine's all up in the mix with Hulk and Weapon H. So maybe we get that little three-way. Alright. Mr. and Mrs. X, number nine, Kelly Thompson and Oscar Bazadula. That's a couple's book if you're into that type of thing. Uh, one of my most anticipated books this week goes to uh, Star Wars Dur or Vader Dark Visions, number two, Dennis Hopeless and Brian Level. I really, really like the idea of Vader being a, an anti-hero, and that first issue was fucking mind-blowing. 
Superior Spider-Man number four, Crystal Gage, Mike Hawthorne, my favorite Spider-Man title out of the 1,600 of them currently running right now. I dig the smart, confident, beat you with my brain, even though my brawn is still better than yours type of Spider-Man, Steve's. Alright, that's all I got for Marvel. I'm going to go ahead and jump right through the last independent that I want to talk about. Well, there's two. We've got one from Boom. We've got Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Number 37, Marguerite Bennett and Simone DeMail. I am reading that one, collecting that one. I just think I missed last week. Didn't get the chance to read it, unfortunately. But I think my most anticipated uh, indie this week is a Valiant title. And it's going to go to Bloodshot Rising Spirit number... I think we're at four now. I don't know. I have it in my head by memory on account of... I'm so excited. Number five. Fucking A, Kevin Jarreau and Harvey Tallabale. So, I'm, this is kind of the first bloodshot type of scenario, an origin type of thing. Totally fucking digging this story. So, everybody, that's only scratching the surface out of the dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of titles coming out next week. Obviously, we have a major milestone with issue number 1000 of Detective Comics. But there's just so many other great things coming in right as well. Same day. So, I don't think I have any final thoughts to share other than uh, you guys make sure when you're listening to this, it's not in the car if you have a drink with me. Other than that, you guys know where to find it. Uh, There's Twitter as well. If you guys need to reach out to us, you can find us on Facebook. Um, YouTube's a thing recently. I'm going to plug that just a little bit more. Other than that, thank you guys so much for tuning in. You guys read responsibly. Thank you so much, and cheers.